and welcome. And welcome. You're listening to The Green Majority here on CIUT 89.5 FM, our wonderful and very appreciated community radio partners across the country, as well as our podcast listeners. You can find the podcast for our program every week at greenmajorities.ca. Uh, today we do have a bit of a uh, abnormal show to some degree in a couple respects. One of them is that uh, we have an interview, which we've been... Uh, not having as many of those recently. Second uh, is that I'm not doing it, which is even more rare. We have a friend of the show, uh, Frank Horvat, who's a local musician, and uh, I'm going to call him an environment activist. I don't know if he would self-describe that way. Uh, in the studio, it's going to be joining us for some of the news uh, segments uh, as well, but primarily here to host an interview live from Thailand uh, about some activists on the ground there regarding the issue of threats uh, and safety of environmental activism. It's a story we've covered on the show before, but we're going to be getting into great detail and speaking to some activists live on the ground in Thailand in the second half of the program. However, before that, Stefan and Dave are here. Stefan and Dave Hossitter are going to take it away from here. Stefan. Thank you so much. Uh, yeah, so we're we're carrying on the the, the fun of the, of the of the last couple of weeks of the show, which is basically just highlighting and on the ongoing uh, horrors of that weather. The weather covering is, and this one is a little bit of a take on it, a little different. Uh, and we're, it's a little, slightly different again because we have that interview in the half of the second half of the show. We're going to have a sort of a shorter beginning section, an earlier music break, and then jumping on to another thing. But let's start with the let's start with the with the news, Dave. What do we got? The term tornadoes of fire. Stefan, has entered uh, common Californian vocabulary as wildfires have become what the governor is calling the state's new normal, 16 of which have so far destroyed a total area larger than Los Angeles. Wildfires have been raging over the northern hemisphere in general over the past weeks, as we've mentioned, prompting even right-wing tabloids like the UK's Sun, owned by Rupert Murdoch, to run headlines like The World's on Fire and to quote climate scientists' warnings about climate change. California Fire's operations chief Steve Crawford stated, quote, it's unprecedented. It's burning in every direction all at the same time. Arizona, Idaho, Oregon, Washington, Colorado, Ontario, Greece, Sweden, and Norway are also lighting up in flames this summer, and deadly heat waves are sweeping through Japan and the UK. While some places are becoming far too dry, other areas are getting inundated with water, as 500 people have died in India from rain and flooding in the past weeks, while Iran, which is very close to India, has been experiencing chronic drought. While wealthy, na- while wealthy Western nations still cannot avoid the adverse effects of climate change, it will be the poorer nations who have not caused the problem that will be the hardest hit. USA Today reports, quote, Pakistan contributes less than 1% of the world's greenhouse gases blamed for causing global warming, yet its 200 million people are among the world's most vulnerable victims of the growing consequences of climate change. On the topic of international cooperation, environmental justice author Rob Nixon told Democracy Now!, quote, some of these countries that are exceedingly vulnerable are getting together and trying to create some kind of choral effect in an effort to be heard where the most decisive players like the U.S. and China are dragging their feet. He went on to state that there has been, quote, an institutionalized gaslighting of America around climate science, around climate science through the funding of climate skepticism, denial, and the bankrolling of inaction. The exacerbation of the climate crisis is inseparable from live, rising levels of inequality. Just to take the U.S., We know that around 1980, the disparity between the average wage of a CEO and a worker was something like 1 to 80. That is now in the vicinity of 1 to 280. This has been replicated in society after society. 
So we need to think through simultaneously the crisis in inequality and the climate crisis. In a related interview with Democracy Now!, writer Nathaniel Rich described a three-day meeting between government officials, oil, execu oil executives, and climate experts held in 1980, in which, quote, they talked about everything we could possibly talk about today, and they all agreed. However, when the meeting was coming to a close, they could not put together a single sentence they would all sign on to publicly. Not a single sentence. Thank you. And I think that's a pretty good overview of the of the problem we have today. And and also, actually, I don't know how many of our listeners uh, have noticed the or read perhaps the article that came out in the New York Times, I believe, earlier this week. That was sort of their. It was a very long article, uh, one of their sort of headline articles about about climate change. And it was it's, whenever these things come out, I'm always sort of like I always want to be, you know, uh, super supportive uh, because, you know, anytime anyone's talking about climate change in a place where people might read who are not necessarily already preaching to the converted, I feel like it's a generally good idea. However, uh, this particular article um, had a had a sort of specific bend to it. Uh, the, the, it's um, specifically specifically the it, so the article itself is 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 is, is was called losing earth the decade we almost stopped climate change um and the it's not that the, it's not that the story itself is wrong um uh in that many all the, all the facts of it are are, are oh, this is the nathaniel rich article yeah yeah this is the it's an article that basically the, the issue with it is that at the end it very much specifically states that uh, that that we that it's that all of us have done this, that 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 we have done this, quote unquote, mm -hmm. and 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 the sort of facts you just laid bare there really highlight the problem with that thought process, which is well, that is he not talking about the United States. Well, I'm sure he's talking in part about the United States, um, but even within the United States, mm -hmm. you know, the collective we is a much smaller we than mm -hmm. than than would be would be reasonable. Um, you know, there there are. There are a certain. There are only so many people who can, uh, who can like. It is a. I think it is a. It is a. It is a conservative. Uh, not cons it, it is conservative fallacy, but I think that it's 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 sort of pushed on all sides of this idea that each of us individually can stop climate change, uh, or that we're all individually responsible for climate change. And it's not. And there's uh, the problem with that is there's a seed of truth, but sort of opens up a much larger and more myopic view of the whole is uh, of the whole issue. Mm. Which is that, you know, we specifically all, especially, you know, within wealthy nations are certainly contributing to climate change and our contributions are certainly much higher than those in other nations. Mm -hmm. uh, however, there are still specific characters and specific industries within this conversation that are much more to blame. <laughs> you know, uh, it's, it's, it's sort of similar. It, it's sort of similar to, find, you know, to blaming a, a public health crisis. Uh, on <clears throat> on each individual for not say for eating for not eating beef because of how antibiotics are in beef. Mm -hmm. It's like yes, that's a problem, uh, and individuals should stop eating things that are pumped with antibiotics. But that isn't exactly the to 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 highlight that at the at at the at the at the expense of the sort of larger issue is uh is a failing I think well, of, of what understanding. Do you, what do you make of the date 1980? Because on the one hand you have it. Um uh, placed as the beginning of our understanding and battle of climate change or discussion about climate change in mm -hmm. 1980. And also uh, what some authors call the beginning of the um, neoliberal uh, era where you have the, um, the gutting of workers' wages in favor of 
the owners and uh, industry executives. Yeah, well, for sure. So, what, what do you do? You, do you think there's actually a relationship there? Or is it merely right? Merely, something merely. to be observed. Uh, I think that the I would say that the the 1980s, generally speaking, um, were also the time in which you saw a pretty strong shift away from from these companies like oh, these fossil companies from accepting climate change to basically flat out denying it. Uh, and mm -hmm. so I think I think it's not. I think what you're seeing there is a is an expansion of the power of the business elite, quote unquote, um, and and in which that they are their oversized influence on the on the in, on on industry generally or on on public policy actually more specifically, um, becomes to be really seen. You know, I think because you, you, what's interesting about this is that this also relatively tracks with with sort of the with the rise and the expanse of advertising uh, as uh, as becoming more and more and more important to mm -hmm. to to media. Uh, and so all of these different things led to industry having an overwhelm more and more control over public understanding. Uh, and quickly, these industries discovering that it's much easier to change public understanding than to change the facts. <laughs> you know, they very they, they realized that it was much much easier as a uh, as as a fossil company to instead of actually fundamentally addressing the inherent problem with their with their business model, they were like, well, what if we just convinced everyone wasn't a problem? You know, it, it, the same thing at this time was happening with you know with with cigarettes. Or you take enough away from them, or you take enough away from people where. You no longer have the time to consider whether it's a problem or not. Right. Well, like, it, well it certainly, this, this leads. This, this certainly comes from the the sort of pl same place of like you know maximizing profits is the most important the most important thing. Um, and in the eighties, you sort of saw you, you, the 80s sort of sees this beginning or, or exacerbates this sort of already begun sort of separation uh, of of sort of the the powerful uh, the powerful rich CEOs and and the general populace mm -hmm. and in, it's in part why you end up seeing some of the other the other rollbacks and the other pieces of this as well um, the whole the whole thing ends up being a bit of a thing so anyone wants to jump in yeah just really quick it's it's like sort of similar to what you were saying but I was thinking about the idea of um, asking someone to sign a petition against gun violence while they're being like stuck up like while a gun's being pointed in their face so it's like it's it sometimes the problem is so severe that it actually prevents people from mm. rationally being able to stop like do anything about that problem people are so busy trying to piece their lives together they don't they don't have time to even inform themselves much less uh make a rational decision about their circumstances like if you if you gave them six months of peace and their kids had health care and and all these things like if you took away all the stresses of their lives and they were actually in a position to make a rational decision they would come to a very different decision than the one that they make when they're panicked so mm -hmm. like the very problem we're trying to address is also feeding into the problem of not solving it uh because people can't like they're they're in such distress that they di can't even recognize what it is that's actually causing mm -hmm. them distress and this relates to uh, what Naomi Klein uh, observes or calls the shock doctrine, where you, you or, or the use of disaster capitalism. But they're, not, they're not exactly the same term, but they're related in that it's easier to gain, it's easier to gain control after a disaster or if people are trying to um, focus on too many different aspects at once, exactly the same thing, where uh, it's easier to consolidate power when, when um, general um, populace is confused or yeah, having to it, deal with shit. Yeah, and, and, and especially with, and, and this is sort of what we're, what's interesting is that what we're seeing now is this, it, like, 
Well, why, you know, why in, in previous week's shows I've sort of been so hard on sort of the quote-unquote thoughtful conservative and have been for years now um, is that specifically speaking, what we're seeing in, in sort of the, you know, the news that you sort of presented today and in general life um, is that we're seeing an, ex- ex- an, a, an escalation of the actual problem to the extent that more and more people are actually experiencing and seeing the problem. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's just a complete dearth of solutions coming from the the right wing side and specifically you're seeing things like you know if you that's why the problem with that's the problem with saying that we all did this is that there's a set of people who are convinced this doesn't exist still is and they are consistently fighting against doing anything about quote unquote you know about climate change you can't you can't it's it's not a very useful argument to say all of us are involved and responsible for this bad thing that's happening if a vast percentage of one side of the argument is saying i don't even believe you there's a problem and we are going to fight you in you know in 2001 they're not going to ratify kyoto in 2006 and 2007 they're 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 going to they're going to fight they're not gonna, they're not going to help the clean air act and they're going to and they're going to fight against carbon and everything that and then in 2017 you you relieve you 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 leave you leave mm-hmm. paris you know, like if the Paris Climate Accord and Kyoto and everything else is only stopped by one set of people, a.k.a. Republicans, mm-hmm. uh, it is it, whether or not all of us are sort of conducing to climate change. It is still not a helpful framing if you're trying to figure out how to fix it, because fixing it isn't all of us doing something because half of us are pretty committed not to doing anything. Yeah, just really quickly, there's, there's another aspect of that similar. We're sort of you know, we're sort of identifying all the little like globulets of like primary causes of you know social problems. Another one is is very much around the idea of it's very easy apparently, and this is something that the uh, which is the right problem wrong solution issue. So I'm going to talk about a problem that you're experiencing um, that's going to resonate with you, and I'm going to offer just any solution. And as long as you're talking about the problem, mm. I'm going to accept your solution at face value. So, for instance, and I, I realize uh, we're, we're kind of leaving Ontario politics aside for this week. I know Lauren's going to talk about that when, when we talk to her next. Uh, but just really briefly, that's like that's exactly what's going on with the discussion around the shrinking of Toronto's council right now. Uh, there is a decision making problem at council. It's true. Uh, that is a real problem that people probably, to varying degrees, I would be shocked too many people, you know, had that high on their priority list before, you know, a few weeks ago. But now that people are thinking about it, sure, that's a real problem. But that doesn't mean that the offered solution is the correct solution. Um, you know, the best, you know, you know how to have the most efficient city council is just uh, completely abolish it and make for the Fuhrer of Ontario. So just because something's more efficient and you have an efficiency problem doesn't mean any offer of solution that reduces efficiency, because why don't we just go to fascism? That's like extremely efficient. We'll just have a dictatorship. So the measure of that is cannot be, does it address the problem? Because you're, if you don't look at, well, does it affect the actual problem or does this just simplify the problem? Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, and so we're going to take a, so we'll, we'll leave, uh, we'll, we sort of veered off for a second and we'll continue veering off into a music break. Uh, and then we'll, and we'll sort of, we'll recorrect back into the, uh, into a conversation uh, about the liberals uh, and what the liberals version of solving climate change looks like uh, when we come back from the music break. So throwing it over to Megan. And we're 
back here on the Green Majority here on CIUT 89.5 FM, or one of our wonderfully appreciated radio syndicates across the country. And let's believe there's one still in the United States. Uh, and then, or perhaps on our podcast, which can be found at greenmajority.ca. Uh, we are here broadcasting live in studio. And, and we're talking, for those of you who are outside of our, 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 our Toronto and Ontario bubble, we're talking to, right now about the, the whole country. The whole country and the Liberals' plan to, uh, to, to solve or to, to, the Liberals' plan to at least address climate change in some capacity whatsoever. Uh, and they've made some tweaks to the plan, which is now, of course, a little more important because there are more, as Ontario is pulled out, Ontario now will fall underneath this plan rather than any a future one. But, uh, Dave, what do we got? Yes. So <clears throat> the federal Liberals are still insisting that environmental protection and a good economy can go together. But they also believe that environmental regulation scares industry out of the country. Is this because they believe that economic growth always goes along with increased carbon pollution? In any case, that was my little question, move on, little Rex Murphy there for you. <laughs> In any case, they are proving once again just how much they love telling us that the environment and economy, quote, go together, and that we should be frightened of industry leaving the country, as Environment Minister Catherine McKenna has recently had to defend her government's decision to weaken its carbon pricing laws. Those people whom the CBC has chosen to call, quote, Canadian industry officials, have had their way yet again with the, with the Liberal government, which has decided to substantially reduce its carbon tax, making industry less accountable for the pollution it creates. The pollution threshold beyond which companies are taxed was previously set at 70% of the industry average, but is being moved up to 80% for most industries and 90% for cement, iron and steel, lime and nitrogen fertilizer. McKenna's defense had the tone of a hockey player being interviewed after a regular season game and went as follows. Quote, I've always said the environment and economy go together, and we don't want to drive industry out of our country. We want to have the most energy efficient, smart industries here that create jobs and at the same time do what we need to do to tackle emissions. Conservative Saskatchewan Premier Scott Moe is still calling the watered-down carbon plan, quote, watered-down poison, stating that the carbon policy does not have, quote, substantial environmental outcomes and only hurts what the CBC called our international competitiveness. Moe cited a study from the University of Regina showing that a carbon tax in Saskatchewan takes $2 billion a year out of the economy while only reducing emissions by 1%, but the study has not been peer-reviewed. NDP uh, Member of Parliament Peter Julian has stated that Canada will no longer be in a position to meet its Paris commitments, calling the move a capitulation to Doug Ford. Chair of Canada's Eco-Fiscal Commission Chris Reagan says the change is a tweak rather than a watering down. He stated, quote, I think what we've got here is a pretty small adjustment in what is often called the federal backstop plan, and it's a small adjustment that really is driven by concerns about business competitiveness. And I think those concerns are quite legitimate, and have been we have been talking about them for quite some time. The feds are still in talks with industry and will hand us down more details in the fall. All right, thanks so much. So this is obviously on the backs of uh, Doug Ford specifically stating that he was going to fight the... Uh, fight the plan in in court. Although, 
ironically, uh, almost everyone is pretty sure that's a waste of $30 million, which begs the question, why try to save $25 million uh, by, by gutting counsel to spend $30 billion wasting your money in a court battle? Uh, but of course, none of this actually is planned to make anything better, but rather consolidate power within the, within the government. Um, and uh, at least that is the effect that this will have. All this he does for glory, Stefan. Yes, exactly. Um, and, and so... And so this is a it's, again it's one of these sort of small minor little changes uh that that will probably like given the fact that this plan will impact Ontario Saskatchewan and I believe there's one other one, one other province that is sort of that is sort of looking like they'll end up being here rather than using their own plan mm. um it's it's not as it's it's what's interesting about this you know it is a backstop plan the idea is that if other places left it would then fall over it would then can take control of, over it rather than sort of being I mean, if a provincial government did not put in its own plan exactly yeah. yes um and so it doesn't have an exact fact sorry Saren yeah, no, just uh, really quickly. There's, so Catherine McKenna, uh, our, our climate uh, scientist uh, who knows better, um, tweeted yesterday, funnily enough, mm. uh, our government has a plan and it's working. Our emissions are dropping. And since we were elected, uh, Canadians have created 500,000 jobs in our plan. Big polluters need to pay. We can do that while creating jobs and keeping Canada competitive. The conservatives don't have a plan. So that's like that's their entire mm. sort of political capital mm. all in one, summarized in one tweet. So I, I wanted to read that because I think that like the, her statement just quickly while I'm already reading tweets I replied to her with my <laughs> personal account because uh, I try not to be sassy from the green majority account uh, <laughs> I responded to her free political advice Canadians who care about climate know your plan sucks this is a losing strategy either learn to advocate for strong pos- uh, policy instead of trying to read the political tea leaves and you might win anything else and you're done followed shortly by the rest of us <laughs> the yeah, yeah so this is this is what's interesting right is that what does like she is not wrong. The conservatives straight up do not have a plan, and and if they did, it would probably look pretty similar to what the conserv- what the liberals are trying to get through because it is not that strong a plan. The problem um, is not having a plan is pretty politically uh, uh, salient right now. Well, yeah, uh, that, well, that's a literally you know, it's it is hard to argue that right now can- Canadian voters, at least Ontario voters, certainly have shown that not releasing a platform gets you elected as premier. So not having a plan for anything else may be the greatest strategy you can have. Which you know that one is sort of on us collectively. Um, but 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 you know the goal here really for the for the liberals in 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 why I sort of would understand. Um, any of these types of plans that if the liberals can get a price on carbon nationally instituted of any nature and this is like you know this one is kind of specific and it only affects certain places and their current plan is probably going to end up meaning that they just give the money back to individuals uh, as a as a way to sort of you know as a, as a as a dividend system they haven't come out and said that specifically but it looks like they're leaning that direction uh, because again then it's money in people's pockets and is much more popular than other options um, if if they can get that and win the next election, then you have four years for this policy to actually be in place, and then you might actually be able to slowly start ramping this thing up. Um, and given that it's taken them so long to actually release and, and put, put forward this type of plan, uh, I'm sure they sort of wished they had a bit of a, a bit of a, a bigger backing. I think had Doug Ford not won Ontario, they would have had a relatively strong across-the-board set of large economies in Canada with the price on carbon, and so it would have been the backstop would have been less necessary. Mm-hmm. Uh, it would have only affected a few places. In fact, you can even re- even looking now, the Liberals never did a full under never did a full cost accounting uh, of exactly how much a, pri- a climate uh, price on carbon would. Across Ontario, because they were counting on Ontario still having a price on carbon uh, when this came out, and so now they're sort of forced to again last second try to catch up and do this because all of these things have sort of because you know 
the Ontario Conservatives have decided that they're 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 uninterested and disinterested in actually sort of trying to figure out a useful way to govern, but rather they're sort of a slash and burn way of governing, and and so. This, so that, that's what this sort of that's the backdrop of this sort of of, of this sort of piece of of, of this move, um, and I'd be interested to know what how much this actually is impacted by the fact that Ontario pulled out. You know, I'd be interested to know these particular industries that are sort of getting a getting a lower getting a lower deal. I mean, I would not be surprised to find out if they were more likely to be here in Ontario, and and, and less of them existed around the other places that are going to get hit by this backstop deal. I feel like we should know who these industry officials are. The industry officials who are making the yeah the claims mm-hmm. right who's who speak so on in such intimate terms with uh, the federal government <laughs> well we've uh, yeah well you, 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 there's certainly a there's a lobbying list you can mm-hmm. find out everyone who they are but there's a certain level of which that was something that we just we covered uh during the talking about kinder morgan and injury east mm-hmm. which was how routinely a certain set a subset of people are able to sort of just walk in and talk to talk to government mm-hmm. um and and you know there's a level of which this is the the it will be I'm I'm a little scared uh, because there really is a a concern here about the liberals having only you know if if the liberals don't win the next election or if if a progressive government doesn't at least if if the conservatives form a majority is really the only actual issue here. if anything else happens you're probably okay uh, but if the conservatives form a majority you could see the exact same thing happen on a Canada wide scale that you're seeing on Ontario scale um, and that I think is what they're trying to protect against with these with these changes is sort of a no look industry we're still the better option because we can give you sort of experience and and planned uh, planned and 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 more ongoing. Uh, conversations mm. um, than otherwise, but you know, I am not exactly I'm not exactly ready to ready to believe that that will lead to the actual backing of industry. You know, mm. I'm not overly confident that you'll actually end up seeing sort of these industry leaders that are getting these concessions not still turn around and, and, and push everyone to vote for for sheer to remove any price on carbon. Mm. So mm. It, it does sort of see, feel like another version of capitulating to to a to a base that we are never going to support you anyways. Um, but uh, but I'm 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 hopeful that that we. Th- th- that that is not the case, I guess. Uh, and and again, it is not like. I feel like it. Uh, I'll, I'll end on this thought, and then we'll go to music break, and then we'll come back with the rest of the show. Uh, but I feel like it's hard to have these discussions because you are really discussing um, the best hope for a for for a future version of a solution and a work towards a uh, towards a, uh, a a lower carbon or zero carbon economy. And yet it also is so not enough that you're sort of debating, you know, you get up these weird debates in your head about whether or not, you know, the, the, the first step is, is, is worth cheering for, uh, even knowing that it's a tooth, you're walking up a pyramid and it's another 2000 afterwards. Uh, and we're all just like cheering on everyone for that first step as if it was the greatest thing ever, knowing that, and, and the people pitching that first step are pitching it as if it's the solution. It's one giant step. Um, and, and yet it's only, and, and, and yet you're stuck in this sort of like, well, it's still something, so we should support it. But also, and then you look at the, you know, you look at the fires raging all throughout all throughout the world and you're like but that's not exactly enough um and and you're stuck i really don't actually i don't have a full great answer to how to, how to respond to that it's just sort of a calling that out as a weird as a weird dynamic whenever we discuss these types of these issues it's like this is good is it enough no but at least it's something and obviously watering it down a little bit is is even worse but 
<sighs> That's such is the life that we live right now, I guess. Uh, and with that, uh, let's go to the music break. Coming back uh, with Frank and a, and a great interview. Uh, but, Saren, take it away. Well, actually, um, because this is Frank's song, and Frank's been relatively quiet, Frank, I would like to invite you to uh, actually introduce your own song. We'll come back. I'm going to get you to explain the interview we come back, so hold with that. Sure. But please introduce the, uh, uh, the, your own song and, and why you've chosen it to precede this interview. Okay. Well, hi, everyone. Thanks for having me. And, uh, yeah, I'm a, sort of a classical, modern classical composer, and the piece we're going to listen to right now is... Uh, is an excerpt of a composition of mine called If Not Us Then Who. It is a piece that involves, um, you know, traditional type of instruments like piano, cello, and clarinet, but it also incorporates uh, electronics. So if you're going to play it from the part of the piece that I that I shared with you, Saren, I think which is about five minutes in, what you're going to hear is um, my music, but also inter woven with um, Yeb Sanyo's uh, famous uh, plea and speech at Doha from about four or five years ago. There is massive and widespread devastation back at home. Hundreds of thousands of people have been rendered homeless and the ordeal is far from over. Right, we are back. You're listening to The Green Majority here on CIUT 89.5 FM, our wonderful and very appreciated community radio partners all across the country and into the United States as well, as well as our international listeners who are largely listening on the podcast. The podcast can be found at greenmajority.ca. Frank, um, it's been uh, wonderful to have you here the whole show. You've been really quiet. I'm, I'm very happy to pass you the torch now. Thanks, sir. Um, old show friend. I met yes. you about a decade ago, roughly. Yes. And I think I've, let's say on average, We've connected about once a year, but we've been yes. following you and, and your music career, and I'm, I'm glad that it's continued to do well. I did meet you as a musician, though, so please, uh, I'm going to mm-hmm. allow you to introduce. We've got our guest on the phone, um, but if you can just, uh, again, also just remind the listeners who you are as well as, as sure. the guest uh, as we go here. And I'm actually going to, uh, just for the listener, I'm relatively going to be handing off to Frank here. So this is like the Frank show for half an hour. Please take it away. Thanks, sir. And although I would like you to participate I in the conversation, because yes, you, are, you are very astute in such things. But hi, everyone. It's a, it's a pleasure to be here. Um, long time listener and frequent listener to the Green Majority and and I've been very fortunate over the years to be a guest. Um, I live my life as a composer and as a pianist, um, but I also call myself an artivist. An artivist, okay. Yes, good. I like that. That's good branding on right. my part. <laughs> I love it. Um, but, but yeah, artivist makes sense in what I do because um, I like to use my music as a platform uh, for sharing um, um, issues that are important to me that need to be given uh, more attention and more light. So that's the sort of a thing that I enjoy doing with my musical life. And um, and that's why I've always been so connected with this show, because you guys have always talked about my various eco-musical projects and so forth. So, so it's great to be here. So um, t- I'm here today um, because on Monday, this coming Monday, August the 6th here in Toronto, we're going to be having a special event, a premiere of a composition that I composed called the Thailand HRDs. And the Thailand HRDs is a composition which is based on photographs um, by um, Thailand-based UK born, um, critically acclaimed uh, photographer, Luke Duggleby. Luke um, created this amazing photo essay that I learned about um, reading a New York Times article a few years ago. And what it does is it chronicles um, missing or murdered activists in Thailand. 
um, people who were fighting for uh, protecting of their um, local environment, trying to keep out um, polluters, um, corporate government entities that were trying to come into their local community. And since that time, over 50, in Thailand alone, over 50 such cases of murdered or missing um, what we call human rights defenders or HRDs has taken place. I was so moved by this photo essay that I saw that I decided to compose music. And I've connected with a great um, uh, international um, human rights defenders organization called Protecting International. And they uh, commissioned Luke to do this photo essay. They commissioned me to compose this piece of music. And we're going to have the big premiere here in Toronto on um, Monday. So uh, we thought that this would be a great time to talk a little bit more in depth about what's going on in Thailand um, because of this is a story that's not really on the mainstream media and, and it's great to use this forum to get the news out. So um, I want to introduce our guest. We have a special guest online all the way from Thailand. Um, her name is Pranam Samwang B. B, can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. Thanks, Hank. Hello, B. Welcome. It's so nice to have you. Before I ask you some questions and we begin a conversation, uh-huh. I would just like to let the listeners know a little bit about who you are. So, Pranam okay. Samwang is the representative of Protection International in Thailand, the International Human Rights Defender Organization. She is a human rights lawyer and has dedicated her life to protect people whose rights have been violated. Her priorities are to empower women and communities in rural areas who are victims of human rights violations and land-grabbing activities by corporate actors. She and her team in Thailand provides comprehensive capacity building to human rights defenders to set up security and protection mechanisms, but also to advocate at national or international levels for the respect protection and fulfillment of their rights. So in a nutshell, B knows what's going on and definitely has seen firsthand the challenges that have gone and uh, the dangers of of being um, a defender of human rights and the environment in Thailand. So B, let's start a conversation by asking you this. Can you tell us about the specific types of environmental issues people are facing in Thailand today? Um, I think Thailand is joining the the whole world right now in terms of looking at the issue of how the state has failed to hold the fossil fuel companies accountable for their contribution to global warming. But there's also lots of issues looking at the um, decreasing civic space for accountable uh, democracy, but also it's linked to the, um, the issues of the land grabbing and the environmental issues when right now it's a lot of the committee in Thailand face um, their life is under the forced eviction because uh, for the last four years the government has the policy of taking back the forest to manage by themselves but actually people have been living there at the forest and doing their livelihood there. So basically the issue is I think not just for Thailand but it's also the committee in Asia Pacific are experiencing the impact of the climate change. Um, we are experiencing the coastal erosion, increasing in soil salinity and the ocean um, acidification. So these issues, in the same time, is also 
um, increasing corporate freedom from open investment regimes. And now so lots of the new bilateral and multilateral trade agreement has facilitated for the land or the water or the other resources to be able to grab in easily by corporations. And again, it's resulting, we have seen a lot of the community across the region are forced dis- uh, displacement of the community for the benefit of development projects. And there's a lot of the hydropower dams or the foreland highways, a lot of development projects happening when they are resulting into the forced eviction or affected into the um, livelihood of the people. So then the community I work for is a lot of them are land rights um, defenders or lots of them are fighting against a gold mining company, which is affecting their livelihood. And their lives are under threat. Um, for, for the exhibition in the Photos of Die Trying, we, we captured the life of the murder defender or the one who have been enforced disappearance. But actually, a lot of issues is happening of the people. Other community has been facing, they're living under the dead threat, but also they're facing the judicial harassment when they start to defend the human rights. So that's that's a bit of the picture of what happened to environmental issues, but linked to the people who defending the environment as well. I think I think it's it's amazing. Um, those are a lot of different issues, and what I find interesting in mm-hmm. what you said about what pe- mm-hmm. people in Thailand are facing, it seems somewhat similar to a lot of things that activists here in Canada might uh, be fighting. Especially, yeah. we you, you mentioned hydroelectric dams, the mm-hmm. you know these big time projects that are damaging mm-hmm. the ecosystem and so forth. These are things that you know a lot of Canadian activists or activists in the West are fighting in their respective communities. The big difference, though, that I see, and, mm-hmm. um, you know, somebody, Saren, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but <laughs> but I think that, I think that in, here in Canada, if you take on, you know, big, you know, some big corporate entity or government, you don't necessarily have to fear for your life. Right that that's mm-hmm. going to happen. Can you talk a little bit more, um, be with us about the challenges that activists face in your country, um, specific types of challenges? Yeah, um, definitely the, the issues of the, in traditional Thailand, uh, a high, the hierarchy of the power and position generally by society, yeah? And people tend to keep their pay, place and not, um, join the movement of the resistance in, in certain part of the society or the issues, actually the middle class. But um, it's also the other groups of the people who are small um, working class or the poor who actually very daring to um, resisting the exploitation or happening to them. So they face um, lots of their challenges. The, the experiences them is looking at the issues of their um and and i mean we looking at the security and protection is very limitation on data available but um murder is is one form of example of the range of the tactic used to silence defender but as i said it's lots of people including they're living under the death threat or they have been facing arrest or having the intimidation some of them uh, if they're activists then they may under the cyber attacks uh, some has been threatened by using the sexual assault against women in Resfender or the lawsuit. Um, and a lot of them are women who are mothers, who are 
uh, fighting from the community level or the community leader. So the photo exhibition we we has been exhibited overseas, but also Thailand for those that are trying. It is a it's a thought try to highlight the issue of corruption, but also impunity. Because the 37 human rights defenders in the photo exhibition, 35 photos of them, only a few cases of them, the perpetrator has been held accountable. And for us, that's, that's a huge issue. Because if you're allowing the culture of the impunity, when someone commits the crime, is nobody held accountable for that. It will be keep repeating again. And I think this is happening also in Thailand, but also in many countries where nobody held accountability, where the perpetrator can be able to do further on that harassment or intimidation. This this kind of the issues will keep happening. And the safety of the defender is it has been a huge issue in many parts of the world. I think we can we can see from the global witness um report, yeah, when they're reviewing recently last month about at least two thousand and seven line and environmental or environmental defenders were killed last year in 2017 alone. And a lot of them are indigenous leader, community activists, or environmental um, who murder uh, because they're protecting their home and the community from mining, from agribusiness and the other destructive industry. Um, so across 22 countries around the world, um, is making the worst record. And in Asia Pacific, we know countries like Philippines, but also Thailand is part of the very um, first um, level of how danger of the activists have to face when they're fighting to pro- protecting their community or the homeland or the environmental. And the issues is this is should be the outraging issues, should be covering the national headlines and then people should be angry and doing something with it. But I guess we have so much of destruction um, in, in everyday life. So it's, it's, it's one of the main um, objectives for us to try to have some activity which is capture the attention. That's also where we decided to work with Luke Dakavi, our friends, who initiated this project already and then for us as the organization who try to also working with the public perception to understand the issues, but also for society to feel enough to be able to offer some solution of this problem. Be, I, uh, Saren here, I'd like to jump in and just ask you a question mm-hmm, as well. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, uh, hopefully I'm not stealing, I haven't seen Frank's question, so hopefully I'm not stealing what he was about to ask you. Um, but one okay. of the, we've <laughs> talked about this issue, as we said, it's a privilege to have you on the phone, but we've sort of done our best to talk about this issue from news reports. And one of the, one of mm-hmm. the details which, uh, our Canadian audience often finds challenging is that they'll think about, you know, when we say, well, you know, corporations using their power and that activists are being murdered, the image mm-hmm. they get in their mind of the mechanics of that is that what you're what you're saying, what you're accusing them of is that some like, you know, let's say Coca-Cola, that like an executive mm-hmm. for Coca-Cola is grabbing a handgun and going to tie. And so they see that image as ridiculous. And therefore, they kind of mm-hmm. like they kind of don't believe the whole thing because that's the mechanics. So what I was wondering was can you just connect the dot for people that are really just struggling like that like they're skeptical because they don't understand how this works can you just explain the mechanics of it so when we say people are being threatened tell me exactly what you mean by that like we're not talking about an executive from north america flying over and personally threatening people can you just explain how that violence how that threat actually gets put out there what what do you mean by the violence what's the mechanics of it yeah uh, for example, the committee in the south of Thailand, um, they call Southern Pesan Federation of Thailand. 
they have been getting the agreement with the government to using the public land uh, for that for the landless farmer. But um, the government has been allowing the multinational palm oil company to be there illegally for the last 40 years um, and never, ever return that land to the community, which they're supposed to have those access to the land. And then we will have a local influential people who already buying those land from the big multinational company. And then from the last six years, when the community tried to occupy those land, they're facing assassination. Uh, two of the, uh, actually, uh, four of the person of the Southern Pesan Federation of um, Thailand member is part of the photo exhibition um, and part of the music which Fang composed for them as well. They're facing the assassination for the last um, six years. Five attempts of killing, four of them have been killed. And until now, the, the government has not um, successful hand over that land from the from the palm oil company to them. So I guess the the issue of um, I I'm not sure um, where exactly we can't dot like dotting the dot or mm. putting the link together of the how the multinational companies affected the life. I guess maybe um, it might not happening um, next to your doors about people living under that threat or assassination. But I guess the issues of is globally, um, we cannot be like complacent. Mm. I think we all facing the issue of the land, environmental, uh, like resistance, housing, poverty, discrimination, or low wages or no wages for mother. Um, and I guess it's, it's a lot of issues, as Frank said, it's already happening in the country like Canada or the other country. Um how to actually imagine what happened to people's lives, I guess it's best to also try to look at the information is available, um, the life of people from, from the global south as well. For example, of the other example of like mining company, when the mining company, big company um, uh, from Singapore and Malaysia is operating in one community in Thailand, the government allowed them to have the concession permit and it's not exactly legal because they have been having some um, illeg- illegality issues of the concession permit. But the the mining start to operating there for many years. And when the committee start to resist that gold mining, um, they have been suing by the company of 30 cases against them. The committee had to spend at least five years to defending all the cases. They also under the death threat. And then right now, that's, that they have a great victory of being able to forcing the temporary closure of that mining. But they, there's nobody paying the, any compensation of time they lost for the last five years. And also some people have been sick from that mining in the um, community. And Ministry of Public Health of Thailand are not doing anything enough to make sure people are not being sick anymore or what happened to people already has been sick. So I guess um, it challenges to making people to see or imagine what it looks like to be affected by the those kind of the issues. But I guess to be listening more or find out more about the life of the people which affected, I guess that's a great way. So that's why is again we trying to do this photo exhibition just. Mm. To capture people's attention, because the the photos are dietary photo and some captions about who are these people, 
and they never haven't heard about these people before. But then, so, what are they fighting and um, and what their struggle and a lot of the issues they have been fighting, the people from their community or their group is still continue to fight about um, those issues. I'm not quite sure whether you I exactly answered your question. No. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> very much so. Very much so. Mm, yeah. So, B, I just wanted to, because you touched upon the actual photo, and that's what really has brought mm-hmm. us all together. Um, and mm-hmm. the photo exhibition or um, a photo essay called For Those Who Die Trying, just for the listeners so mm-hmm. they know a little bit of background, you and the photographer, Luke Duggleby, spent a period of time a number of years ago traveling all across Thailand. You apparently covered 10,000 yeah. kilometers. You visited the families and mm-hmm. friends of the victims, and you requested a portrait of that person. The portrait of the murdered mm-hmm. human rights defender was then taken and placed to the exact place where she or he was murdered or adopted, representing the mm-hmm. last time they were ever seen alive. It is absolutely poignant and and uh, very very moving to see this picture in common places in various places um, in in Thailand. I wanted to ask you about that and your experience mm-hmm. of doing that. Now, it's been a number of years since the completion and the sharing of your project for mm-hmm. those who die trying. What has yeah. changed for the plight of human rights uh, defenders in Thailand since then? How, and specifically, how is the current political climate in Thailand impacting the work of mm-hmm. HRDs? Yeah. Um... I guess those issues of impunity and corruption or um, any serious threat on the life of um, human rights defender, when it's outside of NGO circle, activism circle, we, we saw in that time Thai society at largely barely knows any battle people have been fought or let alone the no story of the human rights defender themselves. And the killings often involve the small-scale conflict in remote areas. And the issue that might seem too narrow to carry assassination as penalty, people don't believe oh, only this issue and then people were killed, but actually it had been happened. And as I said, few of them have received national coverage and few of the names of those killed are widely known. Um, and it's very important. I think that's, that's Luke is, is told us from the beginnings for him to do his project is for the victim and the family. And that that's exactly where we're coming in as well. It's, it's, a, it's a tribute to the victim and the family and their fight and their debt, it definitely should not be forgotten or left unrecognized. Um, and then after this exhibition has been complete in 2006, we actually showing this exhibition in front of the Palena Song in Geneva when Thailand reporting the human rights situation. It, it has been getting huge attention in, in that time in Geneva. And it's, it's, our, it's our strategy to launch in Geneva first to make people in Thailand exciting about this exhibition. And it did, because then people asking, if we launched the the um, photos online in exactly the same time when Thai government have to report the situation in Geneva, we launched in Thailand and we get around 80,000 people hit in that time because people are choking and moving from the photo that's, and that's people amazing. asking do we do we do that exhibition in Thailand and we said definitely the, so when we went back to do in Thailand in 2017 um, um, when because we thought that's the most important and when when exhibit in Thailand is what exhibit around seven or eight locations around the country not just in Bangkok or capital but we also went around the provinces. Several of these exhibitions were held at the main university, 
um, to inspire and educate the young student on the issue has been raised. And for all exhibition, when we exhibit, we invited guests such as the Human Rights Lawyers Network or the NGOs or the Human Rights Center themselves from the community and the family to take part in the discussion and talk. Um, and it's what this open debate, that's what something that's what really need in Thailand, because people don't tend to understand the big scale of the problem. But and it's no even in your own, it's even in your own country, and and that seems no, to be definitely. A, yeah, yeah, that seems to be a, yeah. a parallel everywhere here in Canada as well. We were just t- talking about that at the beginning of this program here of issues in Canada yeah. related to the environment. We only have a minute or two left, so I wanted to ask you okay. one last question. Um, you probably mm-hmm. I don't know if you know this or not, but um, Canada uh, Canada has I'm I'm gonna I hope I'm not being too bold in saying this, but Canada has a fondness for Thailand. Um, people in mm-hmm. Canada love the food and culture. I don't think there's many people that don't know someone who's gone to Thailand for an extended stay or residency exactly. or a thing. 50% it's, of all my takeout is Thai food. That's right. 50%. In, in, the city that, <laughs> in the city that Sarah and, and I live in, in, <laughs> in the city that Sarah and I live in, Toronto here, there's really not one or two blocks you can walk without a Thai restaurant. There's almost as many our, Thai restaurants as there are Tim Hortons. And if it, anyone from it, Canada knows what that means. That's, that's quite amazing. <laughs> so, you know, so obviously a country like Canada has a great fondness for Thailand, Um, especially now lately with the whole international news of the Thai cave boys, you know, that were trapped in the cave and the successful rescue. One could say that the image of Thailand has never been greater in the eyes of this. But of course, we, uh, for people who dig a little deeper, they realize that Thailand is currently under a military junta, uh, a dictatorship. Um, Your your democratic elected government was was removed. Um, I wanted to know, what advice Mm -hmm. can you give the average Canadian to become more active Mm -hmm. in bringing the issues uh, to light that are happening in your country? We only have like 30 seconds. Yeah, yeah, I just want to qualify. Yeah, we just have to be very fast, but please go ahead. Right. I think um, there are, it's, it's, believe me, Thailand is still amazing by its own people and the food, <laughs> but not politically uh, correctness. I guess um, for the young Canadians or anyone who's thinking about visiting Thailand, maybe think about that first um, and then doing something to support the human rights defender in the country before you start to making the trip and not enjoying the holiday. And I guess the most important is how you also link it back to the human rights um situation in Canada as well, the issue of indigenous, but the other issues. And I guess we are exploring more opportunities to work with the people, like Flank saying, he's an art, activist, and that's what exactly we're looking for, because we believe in the um, art can contribute to shaping social and cultural norms and it's all about it's all about it's all about information and knowledge and 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 empathy i find listen um definitely b you and i have never talked in person we've emailed a number of times Mm -hmm. over the years this has been a true true pleasure i want to thank you for joining us all the way from thailand and of course all saren and all the great people here at the green majority for inviting me to guest co-host this segment it's been awesome and we we are at a time thank you very much for having me as well yeah thank you so much b and all the information about uh, Frank, the song that we played, uh, links to Frank's music, uh, the show, everything will be on the show post. So greenmajority.ca. That's all the time we have for. Check out the website. Thank you so much for listening. We'll go now uh, to Megan to close this out and uh, we'll see everyone next week. Thank you and take care.